Welcome to Tether Together, a podcast about friendship, care, and connection from Laura Interlandy and Erica Livingston of Birdsong Brooklyn. We're so glad you're here. Hi, welcome back. This episode is part two of a two-part journey where we are exploring a phrase we have used in teaching and in our doula practices for quite some time around what it means to center postpartum as we prepare for birth and as we think in the long term about parenting. And that is that birth is to the wedding as postpartum is to the marriage. And our previous episode, we explored the first part of that analogy, which is birth is to the wedding. And in this episode, we are going to talk about postpartum analogous to marriage. And if you haven't listened to that first episode, highly recommend that you go and do that now. This will make a lot more sense, hopefully. (laughs) And if you've never listened to our episode from season one about a nourished postpartum, that would also be really helpful because we are going to unpack lots of different kinds of things and angles and some of the societal stuff and some of the patterned behavior that we go into around big life thresholds. And in all of that, obviously our main emphasis, our goal, and the thing that we teach and we speak on, and that we also practice in our doula practices with our clients is the dream and the embodiment of nourishment within the postpartum space. And the whole reason we're going into this conversation, why we are really diving deep into what it means to be postpartum centric within a full spectrum scope of practice, or even postpartum centric in our view as people and as parents and as community members in people's reproductive journeys really comes from this idea, this vision, this hope, and this dream that we have, that it becomes a human right for all people to experience a nourished postpartum. I love that. I think the idea of being just a postpartum centric person, I'm into that. (laughs) Like not just a postpartum centric, like provider of care for my clients, but I'm just postpartum centric in life. Um, when I think about the postpartum is to the marriage, one of the things that I think that's important to first acknowledge around it is just how neither of those things frequently get planned for. Um, there's not a lot of education that people believe they need before going there. Although I don't believe that's true. I think there is loads of education that we need and deserve similar to what Laura just said of the, like, it's a birthright to have a nourished postpartum. Um, the way to have that then means that all the information that comes with how to have that is a birthright. Um, So there's a lot of wisdom, a lot of education, um, and a lot of planning that needs to go into these 
postpartum periods, which for us means forever <laughs> and for, and basically after, um, the birth, after, um, the wedding, there's so much that needs to be thought about before being there. But I do think that the cultural view at how to deal with either of these is to wing it. So funny, like this year for uh, Mother's Day, um, my dad and stepmother gave me um, a little necklace that said, this mama bird knows how to wing it. <laughs> and <laughs> it was so thoughtful and I really loved it and I do wear it. Um, and it's also like, I know they did that because of bird song and the, you know, I have been called mama bird by my family for a lot of the time. And that's why that's the bird part of bird song. Um, but there was also this truth moment in there that was just like about how, like in parenthood, that is kind of the look is just like, let's just wing it. We'll get, we'll figure it out when we get there. Um, and then the reality of how we have such better outcomes, such better experiences when we don't just wing it, when we do ask for support around us, when we do kind of call all the hands to the table, when we do plan, when we do also within the plan, have flexibility and malleability for change, when we do learn how to receive, um, and none of that stuff is winging it, right? All of that stuff is fully calling in the whole crew. Like, can everyone show up? Like I, and this is whether we're talking about postpartum or, or the marriage here, right? Like this is another thing. Why, uh, oh, I've got to remember the quote. Something like, you know, marriage is a desert island is something that someone told me forever ago when I was in my first, when I was in my marriage, which I'm now in a relationship that is not a married relationship, but is um, a definite committed partnership. Um, but when I was married, I remember that being something that someone told me as kind of a, uh, it was like supposed to make me feel better about how like just no one else knows what's going on except for you and your partner. And to me, what I hear in that now is like, Mm, it can be isolating. Marriage is isolating because we don't open it up to um, all the rings of support that would help with a marriage, right? And that would be, in my opinion, what would happen if we started planning for them better. And if we really had like other people in our community that we looked up to the way they have made things work, if we um, didn't hide behind like closed doors, the idea of speaking, learning about like marriage and money, marriage and tasks, the business side of marriage and of running a family. If those things were things we talked about, like more openly with our community around us, it would suddenly be so much better. Postpartum is exactly the same way. It's an isolated, hidden time. And it's supposed to just be kind of like, well, that's, you know, that's private. That's that time is private, you know, and marriage is kind of that way too. It's, it's almost this like tough, um, look at like, uh, let's call it private. So we all don't have to actually get dirty and get in the muck with people, you know, or what I hear as well is that 
there's public facing and private facing 100% in both. So we do see people in marriage, right? We do sure, go yeah. into public, but what we present outside and what's really going on behind closed doors are often really different. And something, a note I just took was that it's, you know, many people, they get married, hopefully they have some good times. <laughs> and if they at some point go into relationship crisis, that's when the energy and the, whether it's financial energy, time energy, emotional energy, educational energy, that's when it goes in. It's not just integrated throughout. So people will often say, well, we can't afford to go on a vacation. But then like we all know the people that like go on the vacation when they're trying to decide whether to get divorced or not. <laughs> you know, It's like we can't afford or why would we seek out any kind of counseling or, you know, communication support. But like once we're now at the breaking point where we're in crisis, we're like doing therapy from a throw us a life ring space rather than our nervous systems are fairly regulated and we would like to just be generally better at communicating before we get into a crisis. And that's often what we see with postpartum as well, is that people do not plan for investment of support on the other side, time, energy, community-wise. And they think that if they need support, that's a sign that something's wrong and that they're lesser than. And there's a lot of shame around receiving any kind of support. And even people that are very financially resourced and or have a lot of family support available or community support often don't ask, don't know how to ask, are afraid to ask. Even when they do ask, it's like someone having to feel like they're on the edge of a perinatal mood disorder or have a family member intervene because someone's in a serious emotional or physiologic crisis um, that could have been headed off at the pass, or at least minimized greatly, the suffering minimized greatly. And so that's another thing that I see is just, there's that naive innocence that we talked about in episode one, and that needs to be honored and loved and cared for. And also we know that being in relationship can be really challenging. And I love actually hearing from people that are in their second marriages. Like I love it when I get those little clips on like TikTok or something and it's people talking about, you know, what they learned or whatever. And then it also feels like really sad that this information feels only accessible to people that have like gone through the Play-Doh machine <laughs> of relational trauma and then through the kicking and screaming, fighting for something, learned the skills and the tools, like what their love language was or what their triggers were, or what their attachment style was. It's like, why is that not a birthright? Why is that not what we learn in school? And yeah. I think that list you just made too, it's so important. Cause like, what's so funny is that as you're saying that, I'm not quite sure if you're talking about the marriage or postpartum. And that's cause that list you just named is so valid for both. I think you said like the love languages, the triggers and something else. Attachment style. Attachment style. Like knowing those things, that's part of postpartum planning. You know, in our like class that we teach monthly, we always go over these types of things. And 
uh, if there's some part of you right now that's like, why would you need to know those things to plan for postpartum? You really want to come to that class. <laughs> like, please come. Um, because it, this is also over the years of being um, postpartum centric doulas that are constantly thinking about that time period first and foremost, no matter what the care container looks like, we have um, added and added and added. And I'm sure we'll continue to add because we never get tired of talking about it, analyzing it, looking at it from different sides of the like um, of the frame, like what we thought we needed to do for people in postpartum planning in the first couple of years versus what we thought halfway through our experience to right now, that has changed and turned over again and again and again. Um, I mean, to the point that even if I just use that class as an example, it is very hard for us to do that class in the time period that we say we do it in. We literally always go over. And that's because we continue to put things into that that we see. There was a point in time where we never talked about intimacy with our clients. At the beginning of our practices, we didn't talk about that. And that's another one that's interesting to pull through in thinking about marriage and postpartum is intimacy and the need for intimacy, the need for conversation around intimacy, the need for the peeling back the layers around it from, for both people or however many people are involved, um, the need for um, acknowledgement around it, and honestly, the need for planning, like literally making a plan around it, you know, and I think that that is, uh, a, you know, in this modern day and age, you know, I like un always unraveling the like recovering Baptist part of me that definitely was told you shouldn't have sex before marriage. Um, and I don't believe that, but um, in a cliched look at marriage, there's this idea that you haven't until after. And so there is this other part of me there that's like, okay, yeah, like planning out how that's even going to be. I think most people who are choosing to get married now have already had much intimacy, much connection, but is it in an evolved, like very mature way where it is definitely planned out of how will we hold to what we have here for the long haul? And if it doesn't hold or stick as it changes, morphs, evolves over time. How will we deal with that? It's like, these are the things that aren't being thought about. If we planned for marriage the same way that we plan for weddings, we would also be planning for future postpartums for people who are choosing to have children in the planning for the marriage right? Like way, way back before, just the same way that I'm always really wanting like sixth graders to learn about postpartum or like when people like have to take the baby doll home in high school and like do a report on it. Like, I really wish that that was not just about newborn care and also was layered in with the acknowledgement of the postpartum time period and what's normal inside of that time and what to expect of that time. And also like, so that these like sweet sixth graders or high schoolers could also care for their aunties or like whoever in their family spectrum, maybe even their parents are going down the portal again, and they would have an understanding and an embodiment of how to show up for this time period, because it is my belief that everyone should show up for this time period. It's one of those things like just everyone should be uh, able and capable to show up around grief in a way that that we currently aren't. I think that's the next step for us as like a people is to start 
figuring out these tough thresholds that are, um, well, I'll use one of Laura's things that are in like the cultural junk drawer. Love that saying. There's a lot of thresholds in the cultural junk drawer in there with postpartum that people don't know how to really act, be, support, love, foot rub. And also uh, what we, because of that, then we wow out at some of the portals that we kind of have been coached around, right? So that's why I think great aunt Susan really gets wild at births, deaths, and weddings, right? And people like show their ass (laughs) for lack of a more sophisticated languaging around these. And that's because those are some of the things that they're not in the cultural junk drawer. Those are things that are like expected. And we are taught quote unquote, how to act and be around at that time. And also um, we're missing out on some of the more nuanced portals and the nuanced thresholds that need a lot more care and support versus just kind of like what happens when you come to the baby shower are excited about the wedding open bar. Do you love this podcast and would like us to release more regular episodes? Have you been missing seeing birdsong content on social media? and hoping that we're going to come back in and do funny stories and uplifting posts about postpartum and parenting. If you are a doula who has been looking for a mentor or somebody to tether to in the sea of solo freelance practitioner life, all of these reasons and more are ones to sign up for Birdsong's Patreon. We are on Patreon at patreon.com backslash birdsongbrooklyn. Signing up at the support level helps us to create content to make these podcasts happen in a more timely manner (laughs) and also is a way of saying thank you for all of the content that we have created and all of the ways that we have been sharing and the ways that we continue to uplift our community and center postpartum narratives and further thought in the larger birth work world. So if you have benefited from our content in the past, if you are benefiting from it now, if you would like to benefit from it in the future, you can sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com backslash birdsongbrooklyn. You will get perks and goodies and also you'll get the wonderful warm belly feeling that comes with supporting creative people to make content that shapes the world around us in the way that you want to see. If you are a doula looking for mentorship beyond the container of this podcast, we have a Patreon level for you. It's called Anchor, and not only do you get all the goodies, treats, and sneak peeks that our support members do, but you also get access to a monthly live call with us where you can ask questions, you can vote on topics for future calls, and you can build community with like-minded doulas who are looking for support and care and values uh, like yours, such as tethering together so that all boats rise.
another thing that came up for me was lots of people would talk about this lots of different ways. Uh, one thing for us that we're learning how to do hopefully ever better is look at, you know, ourselves as people, our work in the world and the, you know, just the framework that we move through life in like an anti-oppressive way, you know, in a liberatory model. So we have to ungatekeep these skills because yeah, we are professionals and we do get paid for our work and our time and we can't pay our electricity bill currently with jokes, although we've both tried um, at different really times. looking forward to that. Yeah. So like my, my children have teeth, newsflash, dentists cost money and so I need money. And, and also how do we move away, detangle from this capitalist structure of like, I'm the expert and here's my knowledge. And it's kept in not a cultural junk drawer, but it's kept in my like expert filing cabinet that you pay behind me a paywall behind a paywall. Um, if what we really want is for everyone on earth to have a nourished postpartum, then we have to be finding ways to like through this podcast and other ways that we particularly do it. And there's other ways that other people do it, disseminate information that should be available if this is going to be true. And just like everybody, ideally everyone changes, everyone knows how to change a tire. Everyone knows how to like do these things that make life work. That doesn't mean that you're going to want to always change your own tires. That doesn't mean you're going to want to or learn all the parts of the car. You're still going to probably have a mechanic that maybe you trade with or pay money to or whatever. Like doulas, I think can be the same in that way is that we can share really abundantly the information that we're gathering through our work in an effort to ungatekeep and to sort of dismantle some of the structures of who gets to have good experiences and who doesn't, and also, you know, be in the world that we live in today. So we, one of the things that feels really important is to say, all of you are welcome here, whether you're having a baby, not having a baby, the birthing person, the non-birthing person, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a great aunt Susan, whoever you are in proximity to postpartum people, everyone is at some point in proximity to postpartum people. And, you know, there's a, there's a quote, can't remember who it was. Hopefully it wasn't some like toxic turfy feminist, but, um, <laughs> said like peace on earth begins at birth, but I really think that's an incomplete sentence. It's like, if peace on earth begins at birth, then like, are we just going to walk then into a battlefield? Like, are we just then going to just like walk off the edge of a cliff? Cause like after birth comes all of the healing and the tending and the feeding and the night wake ups and, you know, all of parenting. So I feel like the second part of that sentence is, and continues into postpartum into continues into postpartum and into parenting. And to remind everyone listening, our definition of postpartum is after birth, like after delivery, it's not six weeks, 12 weeks, the first year we invite people to make their own definitions that feel true to them. For some people, it's helpful to put a timeframe on postpartum because they do want to feel this like emergence and graduation out of. So for some people it's 
they move into a different space when they start sleeping through the night or they stop feeding from their body or they close the childbearing years. And if that's true for you, great. But the etymology is from the Latin after post birth or delivery partum. And so we know that the rings of support and the um, tenants of a nourished postpartum are not, I just had a cup of broth y'all, my kids are five and eight, you know, like broth is good at any time. And we can all become resourced in the language of a nourished postpartum and the skills of a nourished postpartum outside of this sort of expert space. And that that's also what I would argue for marriage as well, because what we're talking about is humanness. We're talking about like, who am I and who are you and how do we coexist together in non-harming, expansive, loving ways. Like hopefully that is what people would like is to, to life build together in ways that are generative, in ways that are kind. In, and in order to do that, we often have to unlearn things about what we thought a relationship was or relearn who our partner is at a different stage or uh, equip ourselves with better tools. If we, we all of a sudden realize that our communication styles are different or that, you know, seven times out of 10, we're good, but like anytime we're less resourced in sleep or higher ticked up in stress, it, it falls apart. And what are we going to do about that? And so we love a great therapist. We love a great personal chef or housekeeper or whoever, or whatever the things are that, could be outsourced if you have the financial capabilities of doing that. And there are some cases where people are moving through, you know, mental health, mood, mental health, or, or trauma spirals that truly do require somebody with skills and tools that are clinical skills and tools. There are times that, that the expert is not only encouraged, but like, come on, let's really bring in another person to the team here. And also, what if we all had the skills and the tools we needed for most scenarios? I just want to like unpack that and say, what if you were able to move through a difficult time in your marriage with friends as your uh, processors with, you know, like you mentioned, Erica, like potentially a mentor, like what if we were able to know people that were five or 10 years further down the, the journey that were able to reflect back and to share and to, to like skill share and knowledge share and lived experience share that could be to us in that moment as valuable or more valuable than the multi-hundred dollar an hour, you know, out of pocket couples therapist. And, and to each his own, like I love therapy, can't imagine an activity I love more. It's permission talking. So love it. Would love to go to therapy like every day. That'd be like my dream. But that's not the reality for many or most people. So how do we just, yeah, how do we crack this open in a way that creates a community accountability to one another that moves away from the island? And instead we're like, maybe we are an archipelago and we've got like 
we, but we have like really great boats and like tunnels and bridges and zip lines and all kinds of shit to get yeah, there's around no our part community. Of me, right. There's no part of me that's saying that anything that you want to be just between you and your partner or your partnerships needs to be outward facing outward. You know, I do believe in, in there being some privacy. I believe in there being some things that are just like, Hey, these are our secrets, our sacredness, our thing. Like, yes. Um, again, as someone who like grew up in a, a small minded view of what partnership and marriage even like was considered, it has been so appealing and opening for me over the, especially since I became a parent, um, to see other models. And I think, um, and to, and to understand, uh, what parts of a partnership could be shared with other people. Um, and again, that's each person's own journey to, to do, but the, the thing I guess I'm thinking about is just like, what things are we keeping behind closed doors that don't want, that we don't want to be there that are non-consensual that are forced by like systems and isms that are, uh, holding us back from kind of showing the truth at a time where what the truth means is we, I need more support. I need more resources. I need more care. I need, you know, more, um, more circles of, and rings of support around me and my partner or in the, um, postpartum space, the whole family unit. Um, the other thing I was thinking when you were defining postpartum is, um, is saying that I, have really been thinking about this a lot and my favorite def definition right now. And again, that's one of the fun things about us and our relationship and our business is we continue to constantly word nerd and try to continue to push etymology forward. But for me, postpartum means after childbirth, miscarriage, abortion, or loss. And that's like my go-to way I say it now. Um, because I think that when we include all of those things as uh, time periods where after each of those events and even inside of those four things I listed, childbirth, miscarriage, abortion, and loss, there's a myriad of spectrum of what that looks like and what's happening there. But if we permission by languaging, accepting, and acknowledging that after all of those events, no matter how they look, is postpartum, we also broaden what, uh, who's here. <laughs> like we get to say, wow, look how many people are in the room. And if we partner that definition of postpartum with postpartum is forever, then suddenly there's a lot of people in the room and there's a lot of people that are going to keep coming in the room. And it also starts to legitimize why this birthright education, this uh, wisdom that belongs to everyone is so necessary. And it also makes me not feel like I'm just the wild lady at the dinner party, always talking about this. It like <laughs> gives me a grounded footing for why I can't seem to stop talking about it and why it does feel like a calling. And I know I'm not the only one and it's not just Laura, like it's us and many, many other people who are wanting, um, these types of conversations to become uh, 
frequent, almost like, wouldn't it be so great if we didn't have to keep going on about it? We do still, because it hasn't gotten, um, it hasn't rippled out enough. Um, and that's why we keep thinking of creative ways that we could continue to talk about it from different angles that might interest other people because it just hasn't hit yet. And that's not true. It hit probably a long time ago, but in our lifetime, it hasn't hit and definitely not in our parents and not in our grandparents, you know, and if we go back down our lines, like when's the last time that like a lot of nourished postpartum was like centered, appreciated, um, and a necessity not considered a luxury. I mean, that's a challenge to go backwards down our lines and find when was that? Certainly not in like homogenous North American capitalist go, go culture. (laughs) There are some, we nerd on this a lot. We teach on this a lot. There are incredible cross-cultural tenants of the nourished postpartum experience that you can, you can witness in traditional cultures around the world of, of warming and of, of tending and of community support and body work and all of these things throughout, you know, many countries, um, and, and many ancestral lineages, but capitalism and, you know, whiteness has really, uh, done a number on eradicating, um, eradicating any traditions that, that would really, uh, it's like what whiteness does. It's like, it is like white out, Yeah, you know, it does. It really just whites it out, like erases it from <laughs> just never thought of that before until right now, <laughs> straight up, you know, tough. I want the, cartoon, <laughs> the, I want the cartoon of that. Um, yeah, just thinking about, you know, so one one invitation that I would definitely give to folks is, you know, to even just imagine if you have uh, someone in your in your lineage that you can really call up to your mind's eye. Um, and in all the better if you know a little bit about their birth or postpartum story, you may, you may not. And if not, you can just research a little bit about the time period in which they gave birth and the place. Uh, But to really just think a little bit about what their experience might have been and what kinds of foods they might have eaten and who might have been around and what may or may not have been normalized. Um, and, And that can be really painful for a lot of people, depending on who you are and and the lineage of your people. especially in terms of colonization um, and where your people were and who they were in that matrix. And also it can be really uh, nourishing to just think about that, to think about the experiences that people went through and the ways in which people uh, showed up or didn't show up. And one thing that comes to mind is, I mean, when I, when I think of, um, birthing away from both the place that I was born, which was England, and the place that I was raised, which was Vancouver Island, uh, around my husband's family, which is very different than my own family. And their cultural traditions, Sicilian, Italian, are, are so strong, like so strong. It's really beautiful and like very overwhelming, <laughs> both of those things. Uh, I 
I really had a lot of feelings like, oh, well, I'm the one that's going to breastfeed and I'm going to have this home birth. And, you know, that was sort of my made me self um, that was thinking about, you know, my mother-in-law had told me she had bottle fed, told me that was what was normalized when she came to America and had her children here. And everything was a sort of hyper like worship of the medical system. And I really didn't understand it and it didn't resonate with me until I humbled myself on the postpartum side and really listened deep, more deeply with more of my being to where they had come from before that. And what was their experience? What was their lineage's experience with um, infant mortality, for example, with um, maternal mortality and with, you know, breastfeeding being the only option and, uh, and how that differed. And so there's some real cultural humility, uh, also ancestrally, like that's a pretty recent line. That's like just their experience. Um, and also how nothing I was doing was radical at all. <laughs> like that choosing to have a baby at home wasn't radical. They, they were born at home, you know, they're, they were born at home. There was no, um, hierarchy of birth. It was just like, what was there? And like my father-in-law telling stories about running with his brothers to the well to get water when a baby was going to be born. And there's so much mixed up in that. That's like poverty and, and, um, and, and trauma and all of that mixed in with community centered care and intergenerational. Everyone does have a place. And that's really recent, right? That's really, really recent. And so I just invite in that thought web because sometimes it feels like so radical. What we're talking about here is just so radical. Like it's never happened before. Like what if we thought about postpartum? What if children were included, you know, in the birth space? What if, what if? And it's like, this is it's not just our birthright as in we should get to have it. It's like, we actually have always had it. And we've had it in like the toughest versions and we now have it possible to us in the, in the least tough versions, in the versions where there is life-saving support for an infant that needs it, where there is adequate nutrition available for most people in a, in a way that wasn't, that was causing harm in other ways. There is, um, supplementation or a different feeding method, if that's the right thing for somebody, there's access to antibiotics. If someone has an infection, like we really do have under the garbage of dominant culture, we have a lot of somatic resonance, I think within us for intergenerational living for, um, knowledge of, of these experiences, like our, our families all, like we were mostly born at home. We were mostly fed from bodies. We were mostly, um, surrounded by family. We were mostly that for most of all human existence. And now we also have like all these other things that could help us have a better that instead of all these other things that we now have eradicating that. It's like, the deep yes and to the ancestors <laughs> and it's really like or or both anding I like that too the other thing I was thinking as you were talking was you know why do we get into these spaces whether we're planning for a wedding or planning for a birth where we can't see the other side 
right? Or it's just at a certain point, it's too much. Like we can only onboard so much. And I think that that is because we do not have access to this information from being really little. Yes. And so we're, we're like, we're pregnant now we're okay. Now we're 12 weeks or we're 14 weeks, or we're a permission time to start to think about the stuff coming up. And we've never thought about it before. And now we have to onboard all of the physiologic parts of birth, all of everything to do with medical advocacy, all of everything. At some point, the everything wrong pot, with the system, of, yeah. all the pot boils over. And so of course we don't have space to then also think about postpartum in a meaningful way. Like people are coming to us, to our class, usually in the third trimester. And that usually does feel like the best time for most people because they have been doing childbirth ed and all these other things beforehand in their pregnancy. And like also might want to have a weekend where they just chill, (laughs) but it is at some point, it's just too much information. And so that's not like, let's then talk about it less. It's like, let's talk, let's talk about it sooner. So there's times to marinate on these things. And there's, there's ways in which we can integrate these things before there's a freaking timer about to go off. Yeah. And holding support groups for pregnant people and postpartum people. One thing that I see a lot is, well, I keep telling the pregnant people, Hey, come over to this postpartum support group whenever you want to, if you'd like to peek in at the other side. And I think that's so healthy. Um, and frequently what happens is they do, and then they get very overwhelmed. They get overwhelmed by seeing you know, what the postpartum support group looks like, which is everyone with their babes in arms, very visible parenting happening um, and people like real talking so hard. I mean, you know, no one comes in hotter than parents in a postpartum support group, which is why I love those spaces Um, because there is like uh, tough nights, like, you know, lack of sleep, um, consistently talking about like, the feeding journey, uh, un- unraveling some of the things that have happened in the birth space, uh, also integrating all of the relationship shifts that have happened with the partner, the mother, the mother-in-law, the father, the father-in-law, the aunts, the uncles, the friends, the friends with babies, the friends without babies. It is a lot, you know? And so all of that is just there and present and really just splayed out. That's another thing I love about postpartum people. They're just splayed out. I love that about them, you know, so open and just like, here's all the stuff, you know? So here comes like prepared pregnant person into that space. And he, and you know, even when it is just a zoom space, here's all these boxes of splayed out truth. And the pregnant person gets completely overwhelmed and basically says, I don't want to look at that. That's not my story. And I'm going over here. And then what winds up happening is, of course, that's your story, because nothing I just said even has to be a struggle. Sometimes it is a struggle, but like, is your story going to be that when you cross over into early postpartum, there's going to be some sleepless times? Yeah, there's no like, you're not going to scoot around that very easily, right? And is there going to be relationship shifts? You can't avoid that, you know, and will you be talking about your feeding journey? 100% you will, no matter what it is. And so this idea of, I don't want to look at it, it is steeped in that it is at a pressure cooker moment. And, and I understand it. I'm not trying to like shame anyone that feels that way, 
And I do think that uh, acknowledging why that feeling is there is valid. If we can back it up to you're reading these books or un you're understanding physiologic birth and then what that means for the postpartum period before the time pressure of pregnancy, because also people aren't even doing this in the first trimester. No one is thinking about post until the third trimester, maybe the second, right? First trimester is just like, you're probably trying to survive nausea and just integrate the whole idea that everything is changing. You're definitely not already thinking far ahead to the other side, unless you're having twins or it's your second journey you know, or third journey or so on and so forth. But for the first timers out there, you know, you're just like eating a saltine and trying to get through the day. Um, and that has to do, you know, we talked about this a bit in ep the episode that's the sibling episode to this, of this uh, overwhelming information time period and how uh, getting through that is its own journey. Just getting through sifting through what you should, shouldn't take, do, read, listen to who is the trusted like guide for this. Is it like your best friend that just crossed the threshold? Is it, you know, your mother-in-law? Is it Amazon? Like there's a lot of people vying for your attention, for your wallet, for your time, for your energy. Um, and it, it does get difficult. I like hear the words of our mentor in my head when we're doing this about how she told us years ago, like, you're not going to be able to get anybody to show up to a class with the word postpartum in it. And I remember us being just like so mad at her for saying that we were so mad. We were like children, like with our fist clenched, kind of throwing a little bit of a tantrum of like, yes, we will. And she's not wrong. And we have struggled with that over the years. And we don't call our class, like we don't have postpartum in the very first words of that class. Um, and we didn't use the word postpartum in the title of this podcast. And there is a reason why it's so hard for people to get this information before they're in there is because as soon as that word is mentioned to anyone not in pregnancy and post, it is linked to depression, which goes back to us trying to like, pull that apart just so people can even hear anything else because the basic understanding of even what the word means uh, for anyone that isn't close to the childbearing years. So if we try to educate people at different parts of the life spiral, we go how we have to go so far back to just being like, okay, this is how you spell it. The second P isn't capitalized. Like, I mean, it's really that basic y'all. Like it's just so and I would also argue that many people that are connected within the childbirth spiral also still That's totally use... one of our things. We like always, y'all, that's like one way that we are shady. We are looking to see if you capitalize that second P. We are, we are. And if you do, we already know it. If you're going and changing your website right now, we know. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, disrupting that in the caregiver space when somebody uses the word postpartum and means depression. When we hear somebody who holds any amount of power at all or responsibility within the childbearing space that is saying, oh, they had postpartum or we're, today we're gonna talk about postpartum. I know almost instantaneously that, that they mean depression. And that's when we say postpartum what? Cause postpartum is actually not a noun. 
This is when we're kind of assholes, actually. Postpartum's an adjective and it describes something. So are we talking about postpartum donuts? Are we talking about postpartum roller skating? Are we talking about postpartum mental health? Oh, postpartum mental health? Okay, great. Well, let's just get really, really, really clear on that because if you're gonna go and talk to a bunch of people about postpartum mental health, then, and use the word postpartum, make it synonymous with depression, then what happens when that person's looking for like pelvic floor therapy And that person's like, I serve postpartum people when they're looking for a pelvic floor therapist who's using postpartum, the word correctly, they're going to think that's just like postpartum doulas are just for people with depression. Like postpartum physio is just for people with physio with, with a perinatal mood disorder. Cause like, then that makes your bits tough. Like what is going on there? It's causing harm to be unclear. I think. And there's, I think it also really, really comes down to, um, there's many people, many, many people who have been in suffering in their postpartum space, in their not forward facing selves, just like many people that are in a long-term relationship, whether that's merit, you know, sealed on a document or not, a lot of people really suffer in the silo of the not forward facing part of their relationship. And there's this, I think there's a lot of skill that we can cultivate in figuring out um, who the rings of support are that can hold what we need them to hold at different times, because we all know that feeling of you're all of a sudden you're in the middle of a dinner dinner party and somebody just discloses in like a really unsafe way in a really unheld container, they blah their birth story or their tough relationship moment or something bubbles over and comes out. And we sort of tend to see these extremes of shove it down, shove it down, shove it down, explode, right? Like everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, crisis. Rather than just becoming a little more skilled at what we call like gatekeeping in a positive way. So not gatekeeping information from people or people from spaces, but gatekeeping informationally, um, like disclosure maybe is a better word. Like where, where are the safe places to disclose? Where's the person that you can say, wow, my partner's being a real so-and-so, but that person also won't weaponize that information in retrospect if you're working on repair. You know, the, the, the person that will ask you, do you need space held or do you want a tool right now? Do you want support and a resource or do you just need me to hear you? Like people that are able to, to hold you through hard things. And I think a lot of that comes. So, so I think when we hear that word being used incorrectly or not talked about at all, to me, I feel a lot of pain. Like if I drop into my body in moments when somebody is glazing over postpartum or blaying a share, or I'm in a professional space and I can feel that there's some real um, contraction or misunderstanding of like what I'm trying to say or like what my job is, I, I often feel a lot of pain and heaviness in my chest because I know that so many care providers and so many people just in the world have compounded birth and postpartum trauma themselves. 
And that has been untended and, and maybe because of their position in community, there truly wasn't anyone safe that could disclose. Um, I come across that a lot. I end up supporting a lot of healthcare workers. <laughs> and one of the reasons is because they want somebody outside of the system who that they can speak to that understands the system, but that also isn't going to tell, you know, whoever at the, the lunch table or the water cooler or whatever. And um, to me, there's some sort of like, we talked about the fool's leap, like the innocence, the, the innocence within us that says, sure, I could get married and it could work out. Sure. I could have a baby and it could be great. You know, like that part of us, we need to keep that spark alive of the sweetness within us that makes us want to be in relationship, that makes us want to grow a family, that makes us want to love other people. And also the flip side of that, when that's out of balance is immaturity. And I think that because we're constantly kind of flip-flopping in our culture between um, hyper control and loss of control and, and not really being able to navigate that in-between space of like relational accountability, community care, um, witnessing, resourcing outwards and inwards, um, we then flip, we do, we do flip. And like you use the words bliss myth, we flip into that other space of it'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine and avoid it altogether. And that really is to me, the way that we are still trudging through <laughs> the muddy field of even trying to talk about postpartum to pregnant people and to people who never want to be pregnant or to people who are in totally different life spirals or time periods. Um, that in and of itself speaks to our kind of societal collective immaturity. Because I love to open up a talk. I love to open up a talk with raise your hand if you were born. Like it's like my favorite opener. Don't steal it. Okay. Raise your hand if you were born. Okay. So you've been in postpartum. Like this is not something that, that, that is only for a select few. That's going to be our opening line for our Ted talk. Yeah. Great. Don't steal it. We said it here first Tuesday, October 12th. <laughs> is it the 12th? Oh, <laughs> and it'll be I, on a t-shirt and a bumper sticker. So I have a thought here, which is like taking some of the ideas that you've just put forward. One thing you said earlier that I thought was, um, so it, so real is this um everyone has a space it's when we were kind of talking about the ancestral look um or even indigenous look at birth and postpartum uh, it was coming from when you were sharing of like running to the well to get the water when someone is birthing that everyone in the community has a space um in what's happening to people in the birth or postpartum time periods um and that is to me so what postpartum planning and care is and and why I think I want postpartum to be the wedding or at least equal to the wedding in its nature of allocation of time, energy, money, emotional energy. Um, I want it to be at least equal, if not greater than um, eventually. And one of the ways there is like everyone having a space in it. And this is for sure something we do in client care. This is something that we do in our classes. This is how we train and teach and mentor doulas as well is um, supporting people to invite in the community around them and 
how can everyone have a space in what's going on with you? And this is the, the language that just came to me now is that being in a community care model does cultivate emotional maturity. And when we allow the most immature people, and, you know, I say that word without judgment right now, like, I don't mean that in a kind of shady, like looking down my nose at you way. I mean, children um, who are emotionally immature and are supposed to be. But when children are involved in community care models, it cultivates a easy to learn from way for them to start to see and comprehend um, what will eventually grow into emotional maturity for them. And, and that is for, that is everyone has a space. And, you know, when you ride in the backseat of the car with your parent who does drop off a meal for the person in your community that just had a baby, the kid riding in the car, being a part of that drop-off is being gifted something. And it's something that doesn't cost anything exactly, but it is like kind of this wisdom gifting we're talking about. It's like backing up the conversation so that people in that third trimester aren't like, look away whenever the word postpartum comes up, but instead let's back it up to um, showing our kids uh, in small and much larger ways of where we are in the space of community care and what, what space we choose to fill. I thought when you brought up money, I just want to go a little bit into that for a second. And I just yeah, want to give people permission to just think now, I mean, I got married at city hall, so, you know, I didn't have like the big fancy schmancy, but like, I definitely thought at some point I might try to do a fancy schmancy. So I've played with like, how much would this cost and how much would that cost? And I think most people have either been to a wedding or thought about their own wedding and uh, future or past or present. And I just want to like, you could pause this recording and, and just write down on a piece of paper the amount of money you think that societally is just permissioned for like your average middle of the road couple to spend on a wedding. So for me, can I, what, get, can I guess, can, yeah. can we, can we play it out together? Like per, so and I'm not like, saying it would be necessarily what you would choose or that you would do that or that, you know, but just like an average amount that you feel like would be permissioned to. I mean, I think the permissioning is like so large. I think it's anywhere between like 10 grand seems like a small amount. You're inviting like three people um, all the way up to, you know, 50, a hundred grand, like something huge, um, especially when, again, when we think about community care models, when like both sets of parents of the two people getting married, give in money as well. And maybe the two people getting married or putting in money too. Like, can we normalize that in the birth and postpartum space? Like our grandparents putting in for the doula, our grandparents putting in for the postpartum care. Like, so that is, normalized I would say that most, I would, I would say that people could have a really supported postpartum period with what's permissioned to spend on, low on a dress, end. on a dress. Amen. Right. And like, 
and I know this doesn't fit everybody, but I just like, what is permission? I think what's permission is the most you can possibly spend. You should is capitalism mm-hmm. always. Right. So the number that came to my mind is like 50 grand. I think people would even, there are many people who try to spend more than they have to show they have more because hashtag capitalism too. Right. And I think that there's a lot of people that, you know, by the time they might like fly in an aunt and an uncle and have like a big buffet and like get a band and a photographer and like a dress and a this and a that, you could be absolutely in the 25 to 50 grand category without even doing it all the fanciest way and the biggest and the most, like just with how much those things generally cost in most cities. And so, Do you know what I hear I is happening? Like, could I go ahead? Well, when we're talking about planning for postpartum support, I mean, a lot of people, you know, we, we have definitely had to have lots of conversations over time. I mean, you and I have both been doing this a long time. We do not negotiate on our rates anymore. We give in community in abundant ways at no and low cost all the time. And so when it comes to private service, it's like period here, end of sentence, this is what it is. But like over the course of the years of like feeling like you have to justify your rate and feeling like you have to, um, it's just like, there's, I've had a million awkward money conversations, some of which have gone well, some of which feel like they've gone (laughs) terribly. And I hope I never see that person at the farmer's market again, you know, and, and everything in between. But it's like, you might spend like a grand or two grand on doula support, you know, maybe like a grand on extra food or body work. Like we're actually, when we're talking about setting up a nourished postpartum, if we compare it to what's normalized in a, like a wedding space, we're talking about a, for a literally a fraction, a fraction, a fraction, a fraction. And then of course there's ways to demonetize all of these things, right? And in community care, like you would have your wedding at someone's farm or like someone's restaurant or like somebody else would do the food and some, there's ways to unmonetize all of this, but I want to actually monetize it for a second to just show how, how much we have permissioned this sort of one day event to be blown up in a hyper-capitalist way. Um, and that be normal and, and actually like a, a desirable um, cho- a choice of allocation of funds. Whereas in this other time period, um, we really are like penny pinching. I mean, really, we are. Really. Most people are. And most people with money do it even like they're the worst. I mean, rich people are the worst. I know lots of them and I love them. But like, give yourself the things that are really nourishing, you know? Yeah. You know what I heard happening in there was, um, I like have watched this show on, um, your Netflix. I hope Netflix isn't listening. Actually, I hope they are. Um, but sponsor us. (laughs) I watch on Laura's Netflix. And, um, and I actually love doing that. I think it's such a good thing. I'm happy to pay Netflix extra for it because I think it's such a sweet way to be connected to your best friend that you don't see that much is to see what they recently watched. And also what you recently watched. That's just like a sub thing that like, I kind of always know what Laura has recently watched. And she also knows what I watch. She's saying also that like, I know what the kids watch, but I don't actually sign in under the kids that much. I usually just sign in under her, which also is like some British icon that I don't even understand. Um, 
dandy or something. There's like some, I don't even understand it because it's like some British thing from maybe a show I haven't seen. But what I'm going to say is I've watched this show on Netflix that is about um, should you buy the house or get married? I can't remember what it's called. It's like marriage or mortgage maybe or something. And like I hear a show like that coming out of you right now, which is like, should you plan for a beautiful, amazing wedding or should you plan for a really amazing postpartum? <laughs> and then you pit them against each other with like expert producers that really make things look really tricky and, and high stakes at moments and some really interesting soundtracks that and build up the nervous system response to it and then let people really make the choice of what's important. In the best case scenario though, in that show and in our actual life here right now is that people are allowed to have both, um, that you are allowed to have an amazing wedding that celebrates you. I mean, I've definitely been at births where I'm at a client's house um, and they want to play their birth video. I mean, their uh, wedding video during the labor that has happened. And you know what? It was a really good idea. That's a great idea. But because you know what that that uh, wedding video did? It created so much oxytocin in the room. Like even thinking about it now, the little hairs on the back of my neck are standing up and my leg hair is growing again, you know? So it is uh, an oxytocin moment, these like wedding things, right? These big, beautiful, connective, uh, inviting in all the family and all the friends. And also I want everyone to be able to have the same thing in their in their marriage journey, right? Supported funded, um, like not just, we get this big wedding and then we just kind of struggle bus it, but uh, we've got resources and supports around us. We have mentors and guides and we feel like this journey is a possible journey. And I want the same thing in birth versus postpartum. I don't want them to be versus each other anymore. I want them to be seen as one thing. You know, I want it to be, um, uh, put on the same scale with one another, that we put an equal amount or more time into planning for the postpartum time, because y'all, it is longer, even in the smallest scope version, like the tiniest scope version I can think of is some care providers who kind of are like two weeks is what we think is kind of postpartum -y time. That's the smallest I can think of as far as what I've seen or heard which is garbage and trash. I just want to say right now, that is a garbage trash idea of saying that postpartum is two weeks. But even in the smallest amount, you're never going to have a birth that lasts two weeks. And if we just go with the normalized six-week checkup, right? Six weeks is a lot longer than your birth. Can you imagine if you were birthing for six weeks? Whoa. Um, so even, let's then look at it that way. The timing, the planning, the funding, the um, emotional energy put into it, the resources needed, the people that need to be involved as well, the other rings of support you're calling in, um, they need to be in equal or greater than amount to the birth time. And do I want you to have an amazing supported birth with all those things? Yes, I do, because they are linked. They are linked. They are one really, right? Because your birth outcome does determine your postpartum outcome. So planning for postpartum is planning for birth. Yes. And 
it's like ritual and ceremony can be so powerful. And hopefully that's what a wedding is for folks, right? It's like a, a something that feels, um, it's like it casts a spell. It, it sets an intention. It, it sort of uh, points the arrow, right? Of where you're going to go and sets it free um, with intention, hopefully for, for the life you want to have. And that, so, so there's a value in having not just like a materially lavish day, but like a day that really feels good, like and in registers in the body in retrospect as feeling good and has a somatic resonance of like, we put on the song that we dance to. And like, we come back together after like tough fussy day, you know, like there's lots of ways that a big, powerful portal life moment, like a wedding and certainly like a birth, I'll get to that in a sec. Um, can feed you for years to come in in that spectrum. But a really great wedding will not do your marriage for you. And your birth will not parent your kids for you, right? Your birth, like, I'm sorry, it's tough. The, the dolphins <laughs> that assist your birth, the unicorns that bestow their magic upon your birth will not um, do the night wake-ups for you. Um, and so, but who will, (laughs) will. you will, I will. Um, but so it's just not a complete thought, right? It's not a complete thought. It's not the end of the sentence. It's, it's just not the whole story. And so I just want to come into for a second before we wrap, um, with some of the ways in which this analogy totally does break down. (laughs) And one of the, the most obvious is that, you know, it's sort of like over culture uh, tradition that after a wedding, you would have like a honeymoon or a trip, or at least like some kind of walk down chill time together. Just you guys maybe doing some sexy stuff, maybe doing some resty stuff, maybe eating breakfast in bed. Maybe, I don't know what your, your vibe is, but um, we register that the wedding is this like big outward, happy, positive vibe gathering that then is we, we get held in this space afterwards, or we have permission space to take just to connect and be together. But where that breaks down, like dreamy to have a birth that feels like a, a, you know, a big ceremony and union, and then a cozy, we want you to have the nourished postpartum that feels like uh, breakfast in bed and a cozy intimacy. But the reality is that birth is this giant somatic experience where we ourselves get shaken up, turned inside out, sometimes re-traumatized from previous things that were living in our body. We know trauma lives in the body. So just the process of being in labor can be uh, enough for somebody to have trauma reactivated. We might experience physical trauma in our birth. We might be have a, have a moment where something goes vastly different than we thought it was going to, we wanted it to go to. We might experience not just the emergent nature of birth, but we might experience a medical emergency aspect to our birth. We might've had a stint in the NICU. We might've had a care provider we didn't like. <laughs> we might've had something really, um, disturbing or disruptive happen. We might've experienced obstetrical violence, 
we might have had physical trauma to our body, either through an incision or stitches, or, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on in a birth space that are hopefully never happened to anyone at a wedding. <laughs> and, and therefore, and then in the postpartum space, you now have to parent, you now have to feed a, a baby some kind of way every like two to three hours. You have to wake up all to the time. You have to relentlessly show up giving care when you have just been through an experience that for most people register as traumatic. And you have to heal your body. You have to, you go on a physical journey. And for all the people that are listening who are non-birthing parents or who are adoptive parents or who are, you know, parents who are, did not physiologically go on the journey, like the, this is still helpful information in terms of if you take the tenets of a nourished postpartum and apply them to your caregiving journey, because caregiving is relentless. And obviously, if you layer on top of that, the physiologic healing, it gets more so for sure. But caregiving alone is relentless. Waking up at night relentlessly is a lot. And the responsibility of caring for an infant that will die if you don't care for them is really anxiety inducing. And what people experience in hospital with um, you know, temperature checks and um, heel pricks and all of the, the normal newborn procedures that occur before you are discharged from the hospital, car seat tests, like there's so many things, watching a scary video about SIDS before you're allowed to leave. Like there's so many things that happen in the hospital around, uh, you know, safety and making sure babies are okay. And we can have a big, huge unpacking conversation about that at a different time. But there's a lot of people that First of all, they're starting from this place of, holy, what just happened to my body? And now they're watching all of these care providers um, do things to their baby and check on all these things to their baby. And then you go home and you're just home with this baby. And sometimes it's not even explained to people that like, yeah, you don't have to check their temperature all the time. Like that was just a hospital thing. That's not like a you at home thing. So we, we sometimes go into postpartum spaces and people are really amped up in the anxiety um, realm because A, birth was really adrenalizing. The hospital, they didn't sleep very much. And also they watched their newborn go through all these procedures and no one explained to them that while that was hospital protocol, it was, it's fine now, like everything's fine. Just like love your kid and hold your kid and feed your kid. And I think that um, we don't have time for this today, but we can come back to this at another point. Um, when we crack open perinatal mood, we, we do have to touch on anxiety and it's our experience as close witnesses of the perinatal early perinatal space, early postpartum space, that most people experience anxiety, um, if not all people experience anxiety, to what is often a clinical level for even a, a few hours or a few days. And that that is not discussed and disclosed and also is somewhat, should be somewhat expected and should definitely be disclosed prior when you have the ears to hear it before you're in essentially a physiologic space of healing and also what we also experience by proximity 
somewhat of a post-traumatic space where it's, it's when you're doing that looping and when you are like trying to integrate this massive experience, that's actually not funnily enough, the best place to be learning <laughs> and onboarding new information. So it's not a honeymoon. <laughs> I really hope that your honeymoon was not like the early weeks of parenthood. I just really, really hope that it wasn't. This is why people take their baby moon before. <laughs> so, and, and then the long-term, I think where, where the analogy starts to work again is just in that long-term view that, you know, postpartum, is a long time. Parenting is a long time. There are many days and nights and days and nights and days and nights and moments of, of caregiving and of showing up. And that is true also about marriage. Although hopefully your partner doesn't wake you up as much and doesn't require you to feed them all the times they wake you up. Hopefully that's not your story, but there is at a least not every two hours. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but there is this long view we want to take where we pick that analogy back up again. And we say, you know, when we boil it down, um, people don't get married to have a tough one. Like that's not the goal going in and people don't have a baby to have a tough one. Like, that's not why we get into this biz, <laughs> but we are. And then we're like, somehow when we we're somehow surprised when we find ourselves calling out for the life ring or we're too embarrassed to call out for it. And then we, we really suffer and we sit in suffering for so much longer than we would need to if we normalized community and support long before we even thought about the wedding or the marriage. I think a lot about um, the learned behavior of postpartum. And when I say this, I mean a nourished postpartum. Um, there's like a learned behavior in it. Um, you know, sometimes I think that I'd like to have another kid just to have the postpartum I had with my second, because it was so, it was like everything we talk about, it was really supported. It was ceremonial. There were daily rituals. Um, my healing was centered. It was in the forefront of my family and friends' minds. Um, there was an abundant meal train. There was all kinds of just amazing, you know, I, I really got to practice what we'd been preaching in my second time around because we'd been preaching it for a few years. And I was like, I got to really show up for postpartum, like we say, and, um, and be the receiver. And one of the things is that the embodied learned experience there, the feeling of being in that not only sometimes makes me want to have more kids than I could probably actually birth or afford, um, but it also is like a uh, resonant feeling that supports other difficult thresholds for me. And when my family gets ill, for example, we use the same skill set that we used at that time when one or any of us are ill, when we move through loss or really intense grief, we use the same skill set that the family unit embodied. Um, and I think there is just like such a gift in there about what it can be to have this type of supported postpartum experience. And I think there's nothing different than an, a marriage that would have that, uh, you know, in order for us to go the long run in a relationship, 
we have to have foundational great connection moments that we can re-spark or even just wax nostalgic about in order to build up a framework on a foundation. And that's it, right? Like the nourished postpartum is the foundation for the family's livelihood of when we need big inhales because of difficult thresholds that ask us of it. It's even in the first year of parenthood, I constantly tell my clients like, oh, baby's teething, go back to day one postpartum. You know, oh, starting solids is feeling really difficult. When's the last time you gave yourself a postpartum day? And what I mean by that is very early postpartum where you're allowed to rest, to heal, just to unwind, to completely unfurl, to not feel like you got to do anything more than one big thing a day at max. Like maybe you're just doing nothing and that's totally a ton and that's enough. And I, I believe that there's medicine in this time period that helps us at so many other moments in our life down the road for us and also for even our children to witness and see um, the permission to, um, to be in the full experience of this and to know what it feels like, not just like in some academic think about it, some published journal about it, some book about it even, and you know, we're book nerds. We're nerds. We love to read research. We love to read. We want to read all the things. And I mean, the feeling, the real feeling in our bodies, in our nervous systems of what it is to truly get to experience um, uh, what a nourished postpartum means to your full body <laughs> and to the body of the family members involved in it, the bodies of even the people who are in the service. You know, this is one of the gifts of, of our work with one-to-one -one families. I get to feel that calm, gentle nest feeling a lot. I get to feel that a lot because people invite me into their spaces and I get to go into those environments that are just like, that like slower breath, that like there's not any pressure, that non-judgment space. And it, it's a real gift, you know? And it's something that I feel, again, when we get back to birthright, everyone deserves this. Whether you're postpartum or not, every person on the planet deserves the feeling of what this is at certain thresholds in their life. Well, I also want to uplift because I know that, you know, in planning and supporting clients to plan for a nourished postpartum, they're more likely to have those days or some of those days where we walk in and it's like, oh, what a pleasure to be in this space of just ease and connection and nourishment. And then there's also because we tend postpartum you know, we, we don't just support the first two weeks or the first six weeks, we, we show up and we keep showing up and we keep showing up, you know, all of our clients at some point or another have those days where we walk in and everyone's crying, you know, we walk in and everyone's nervous system is on the ceiling or everyone hasn't slept that night or whatever. And then there's also a gift, uh, that, that pays dividends for, you know, I know that in my tough moments, I can recall it of those moments where you walk in and the vibe is so off, like it's so tough. And then we, because of what our role is and because of the skills and the tools that we've cultivated over time, um, we start to, we, we hold the space and then we start to attune the space and, and support the regulation of the space and ground the space 
and address the concerns that are present, but also replete what is depleted. And sometimes we've walked into the toughest situation and we walk, sometimes we walk out of a really regulated space. And that's also a gift. And it's a gift that I think we can be better at in this community care model of like my house doesn't have to be clean for you to come over. And I can like unshame that in me. And I can actually have you over on the hardest day where I feel like the worst mom. And I just, there's dishes a mile high. And, you know, this is what we're talking about, about, I think, especially when it comes to, to marriage and, and, and relationships is there's just so much shame around even having to work at anything, right? There's like the bliss myth is like the worst when it comes to anything romance connected. It's sort of like, well, it would, if this was really it, then like, I'd never have to talk about, you know, skills or tools. We just know how to do it. It's like, what a bunch of bullshit, you know, we're all broken and weird, you know? (laughs) And that is like nowhere it's put, it's really put through the prism, like all our brokenness and all of our wounding and all of our hopes and dreams for our life. And all of that messy human tender stuff is just, that is what you're saying when you're talking about splayed out. There's no, there's no time, there's no energy um, for people to mask in postpartum. And so I think that's why the barriers are often so high for who gets to come in the space and who doesn't. And we just get to see behind those masks so often that, um, and that's such a gift back to ourselves when we're in those places where I don't know what to do for my kid right now, or I haven't slept or fill in the blank that, you know what, actually, this is a part of all of us and we all go there and I get to, to fly on the wall in so many other people's tough moments. Surely I must be allowed to have those tough moments as well. And I think that's one of the gifts we, we could be giving each other if we were living in, in a more, um, intergenerational community centered care way, um, from earlier on in our lives. Because struggle is a part of the human experience. I just don't think that we're, I think we're, no one is entitled <laughs> to uh, like just an easy go and, and that's not humanness. It's just not. And yet suffering should not be part, should not be par for the course. Struggle, that sort of normalizing some amount of struggle without enabling the suffering of our, our family and our friends and our communities is that zone that we need to live in, uh, when it comes to, um, supporting people in their relationships, supporting people in whether those relationships are parent child or partner to partner or community to community. And, I would love to teach postpartum to third graders. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like Kindergarten postpartum is ah. like the best intersection of my full skill sets. <laughs> you all know we have lesson plans already. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this there's forever and a day to talk more about, but I really hope that there's there's a way and a place for people to crack open whatever the defenses are. Yeah. That we, we keep up and and make ourselves a little bit more vulnerable to those 
around mm. us. That's a nice takeaway for today is how can you unmask yourself um, in some way that you haven't already with someone that feels trustworthy to do so. See you next time. Leave a review. It's really helpful.